right, go with me, please, back to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we've been in a series together over the last couple of weeks, I believe this is part three now, that we are calling the indescribable gift. Christmas time, to me, I feel like this is the best time to focus in on God's indescribable gift. You see those words written here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. As we were coming into the month of December, I sensed it in my spirit that this is what we needed to spend the entire month focused on, the indescribable gift. Other translations say it like this, thanks be to God for the unspeakable gift, the inexpressible gift, the gift too wonderful for words, a gift precious beyond words, a gift that words cannot describe. This is the gift we're talking about. And once again, it takes the help of the Holy Ghost to spend a month talking about something that can't be talked about. To spend all your time focused on something and trying to express how wonderful, how big, how amazing it is when the scripture tells you words can't do it. So today, especially, as we get into this this morning, I'm going to ask you to listen, not just with your natural ears or with your mind, but if you can listen with your heart, because God has put on the inside of us especially on the inside of the recreated born again spirit, the ability to comprehend, the ability to grasp what your head cannot. God cannot be understood like an equation. God cannot be grasped like you would math or science or history. He's bigger. And it takes a born-again spirit that's been recreated with the capacity to receive what the scripture says, all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God? Man, your head can't even scratch that surface, but your heart can. And we've gotten so accustomed to hearing things and saying things like, God, just too much to ever understand. We, we can never understand how much he loves us. We can never comprehend his love. And you know, all that sounds really good until you read scriptures that say, you need to be rooted and grounded in love and comprehend. That's the word the scripture used, comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the depth, the height, and the breadth, and to know the love of Christ. If the Bible says you can comprehend it, guess what? You can comprehend it. Again, it won't be with your head, it'll be with your spirit. So I'm gonna ask you today to listen with your spirit. Listen with your heart. And there may be something you hear today and your spirit just, just gets all fired up about it. Goes, yes, that's it, glory to God. And your head's going, what, I, I don't get it. And you can just say, shut up head, you'll get it later. But go with what you get in your heart. Talking more about this indescribable gift. First Peter chapter one, we'll put this on the screen for you. He said in verse seven, the genuineness of your faith, he's talking about your faith here. He said, your faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Listen to those words again. Talking about Jesus, whom you have not seen, you love. You haven't seen him, 
but you love him. You know what that is? It's faith. Didn't we say he's talking about your faith? What is faith? You haven't seen him, but you love him. It takes faith to love someone you haven't seen with your natural eyes. And this faith is so precious that the scripture says it's more valuable than gold. Again, Jesus, whom you have not seen, you love, though now you do not see him yet believing. And what happens when you believe? You rejoice. You rejoice with a joy inexpressible, with a joy unspeakable. Sounds like that gift, doesn't it? That indescribable, inexpressible, too wonderful word for words gift. When you receive that gift, it produces an inexpressible, unspeakable, too wonderful for words kind of joy. And that joy comes when you enter into faith. You are believing and rejoicing. Two things, two times when the believer, the man or woman of faith is in joy. Number one, when they're believing. And he goes on to say, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. Verse nine, receiving. So those are the two times you and I are supposed to be so full and overflowing with joy. What two times? Number one, when we're believing. Number two, when we're receiving, which is all the time. Those two things are going on in our lives all the time. Our believing, our receiving. We believe God, we receive from God. We believe God, we receive from God. We believe God gives salvation, we receive salvation. We believe God is our healer, we receive our healing. We believe God is our prosper, we, we receive our provision. All the time, whether you're in the believing phase or the receiving phase, you are full of joy. Joy. Now you can't say joy, joy. When the answer to the question is the word joy, it matters how you say it. When you are believing, you are full of joy. When you are receiving, you are full of joy. Joy, joy, joy. And it's a joy inexpressible, full of glory. And he said, receiving the end of your faith, the result, the produce of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. We have talked over the last couple of weeks about some things, a gifts indescribable, almost too, too good for words, and the joy that comes with it. We've talked about the joy of receiving salvation, the joy that comes with the gift of heaven in eternity. Go back to the book of John with me and look at some scripture we looked at together last week. John chapter three. In the beginning of this chapter is where a, a man named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus and he says, we know you came from God and, and no one can do the things you do unless God's with him. And what did Jesus say in verse three? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And at first, this kind of confused Nicodemus. He said, what do you mean born again? Can, can a man enter his mother's womb again? And Jesus is like, no, that is not at all what I'm talking about. Uh, he said in verse five, assuredly, I say to you, unless you're born of water and the spirit. Born of water is to be naturally born into this earth, but to be born of the spirit, other translations say born from above. When Jesus said, you must be born again, 
He was saying, you got to be born of the spirit. You've got to be born from above. We looked at scripture after scripture last week that talked about being born of God. When you're born naturally, you take your character traits, your DNA, your personality, your looks, those things come from the people you were born of. Like I said to you last week, I am born of George and Terry. That's my mom and dad. And so I get a lot of the things that make me who I am, uh, physically, DNA, personality, a lot of that comes from who I was born of. My, my personality, I take so much after my dad. My dad was uh, born and raised in New England. My mom's whole family's from the South. My dad's from Massachusetts. And when he got born again at 19 years old, the whole direction of his life changed and he decided he would move to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to Oral Roberts University. You got to understand, from Cape Cod, Massachusetts to Tulsa, Oklahoma, this is like international travel. <laughs> this is like interplanetary travel. The South was so foreign to my dad and, and to the culture of New England and the culture of the Northeast, and yet that's where he moved. And as the story goes, it's where he met my mom. They fell in love. Uh, they decided they're going to get married. And, they, and then he moves to Texas, even further south. <laughs> and he literally felt like an alien for so much of the first part of their life and marriage. He was a Yankee living in Texas, <laughs> taking his life into his own hands. I mean, he literally took his life into his own hands when the first time they ever visited from Oklahoma to Texas is when they announced they're getting married. Not wisdom. <laughs> to tell your Southern family, I'm going to marry this Yankee. It's like, they just met. Give them a minute, you know? All that to say, growing up, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Fort Worth, spent the first 39 and a half years of my life there till we moved to Colorado. But funny enough, so much of my personality I took from my dad's side of the family, which is why I loved as a kid going to visit my grandparents, my aunt and uncle in New England, in Massachusetts. I felt at home. I don't know what it was, but I loved Boston. I loved New England. I loved the humor. I loved the history, the culture. I mean, there's a part of me that all I ever wanted to do for my whole life was pack the car in Boston Yard. You know what I mean? <laughs> loved it. To this day, love it. Well, where did I get that? I was born with it. I was born of that. Why am I telling you all this? Because when you were born again... You were born from above. You were born of your heavenly father. He put his character. He put his nature. He put his DNA on the inside of you. He put that in Jesus. This is why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's why I can say, for the most part, if you've seen me, you've seen George. I mean, there's just not a lot of differences because I was born of that. But you and I have not only been born naturally, we've been born of the spirit, born of God, born from above, reborn. And so his character, his nature, his DNA is on the inside of you, which is why we took all that time last week going over those scriptures in 1 John that says, he who is born of God overcomes the world. That's God's nature. His nature is overcoming. 
So that's what's on the inside of you right now. You've got overcoming DNA on the inside of you. So when we see you conquering, when we see you overcoming, when you, we see you victorious, we say, oh, you born again. You take, you look just like your father. We saw scriptures that says he who's born of God doesn't sin because that's God's nature, sinless. He put that on the inside of you. That's what's in you right now, glory to God. So when we see you overcome sin, when we see you resist, and even when we miss it and we miss the mark, when we come back to the word and we come back to God through Jesus and we receive forgiveness for it, that's that overcoming nature coming out of us. Greater is he that is in you. This is your DNA. It's the born again DNA. It's what's in you. Say, that's in me. And Jesus went on to say to Nicodemus in verse seven, he said, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. If you want this overcoming DNA on the inside, you must be born again. If you want to be more than a conqueror through Christ who, who loves you, you must be born again. There's no other way. You must be. Now, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus went on and it culminated down here in, look around the 14th verse with me. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up, verse 15, that whoever believes, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 16, stop me if you've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave. So we talking about a gift here? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, help me. I've been meditating on this for the last two weeks or more and actually fully intended to bring it to you last week, but it was still indescribable to me. I, I couldn't find words to wrap around it. Eternal life. So we're going to do our best over these next few minutes to find the words to describe something that is indescribable. Eternal life. Say those words with me. Eternal life. Now who gets this eternal life? Jesus was very clear. He who believes, believes. This is what he's looking for. Some faith. This is what he was looking for then. It's what he's still looking for now. And the scripture says, when the son of man returns, will he find faith? This is what he's always been looking for. Faith. The Lord spoke to Sarah years ago and said it like this. She was saying to him, your grace is sufficient for me. And he said to her, and your faith is sufficient for me. This is what he's looking for. Faith. And aren't you glad that's what he's looking for? He really made this easy. I mean, in a sense, he said, he who believes will have everlasting life. There's no, there, there's no hoops to jump through, no tricks to perform, not even any paperwork, family. 
It's harder to get a bank account than it is to receive eternal life. He's looking for some faith. So I thought maybe what we do is just reaffirm here for a minute some things that we believe because these are the things that make us who we are. This is what I love about Christmas. It's also what I love about what's coming just a few months from now, uh, Resurrection Sunday. Many call it Easter Sunday. These two days define us. What we believe happened defines us. And there's a lot more to say. Of course, the Bible's a big book. <laughs> but these two things. And so I thought maybe we'd just take a minute here and aff affirm or reaffirm some things that we believe. And when you come across some things in Scripture, some, some things that Jesus said, you need to believe this, you should say out loud, I believe that. I believe that. So for example, if I say to you, Jesus is the Son of God. What do you say? If I say to you, He, he is the Word made flesh. He was born of a virgin. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Lived for us. Died for us. Rose again for us. Jesus is coming again. Soon and very soon. And heaven is my home. Do you believe that heaven is your home? Do you believe that heaven is where you will spend eternity? I believe that. If you believe that, eternal life is yours. It belongs to you. So let's try by the help of the Holy Ghost and my Lord, do we need his help to wrap our hearts around eternity. Go to the book of Romans with me. When you're talking about the gift, this indescribable gift, you really should spend some time here in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, because he talks about the gift, the gift, the gift, the free gift, the free gift over and over and over. And if you just look at Romans chapter 5, beginning... In uh, verse 12, let me read quickly through some of this. He said, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. You know what he's talking about, right? Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When God created the heavens and the earth and he created man and he put him in the garden, sin was not in this atmosphere, but it got in. How did it get in? It came through one man. Through one man, sin entered the world. But listen, sin didn't come alone. It brought with it death. Sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. I think you and I have a new frame of reference for things that spread. We live through COVID and that was... Those words were on everybody's lips. You couldn't really understand it because there was a mask over their face, but everybody was talking about the spread, the spread, the spread. Got to stop the spread. Try to stop this spread. Death spread like a virus. And it spread from Adam all the way down. 
death spread. It said in verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin's not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses and even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Verse 15, but the free gift. Notice how many times he talks about the gift. Let's, for the sake of our conversation, let's say it like this. The indescribable, the unspeakable, the inexpressible free gift is not like the offense or the sin. For if by one man's sin many died, much more the grace of God and the gift, the indescribable, unspeakable gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many and the gift. Hear it again. The indescribable gift, the unspeakable gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment which came from the one sin resulted in condemnation. But the free, indescribable, unspeakable, inexpressible gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by the one man's sin, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the indescribable, unspeakable, inexpressible gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation Condemnation, there's that word again. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift, the unspeakable, the indescribable, the inexpressible, the too good, the too precious, the too big for words, free gift came by one man's obedience, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the sin might abound but where sin abounded, come on, where sin abounded, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the gift, the free gift, the inexpressible, the indescribable, the unspeakable free gift, which is what? Chapter six, verse 23, here it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift, the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This eternal life is what the scripture calls the gift. Well, I thought Jesus was the gift. Well, of course, yes. That is who and what we're celebrating. But go back and read these scriptures. Specifically, he's saying the gift is what came through Jesus. You could say he's the giver of the gift. And what is the gift? The inexpressible, the uh, indescribable, unspeakable free gift. It is eternal life eternal life. Now, if you ever want to make your brain just go tilt, you know, when you're on your computer and it locks up 
and you either get the little hourglass or that pinwheel, that circle that goes round and round and round and it just stays that way. You ever want to do that to your brain? Tomorrow morning in your quiet time, sit down, get quiet and start thinking about eternity. Start trying to comprehend eternity. And I don't just mean eternity in your future because the word eternity actually goes in both directions. This is why God is called the one who was from everlasting to everlasting. Sit down and try to wrap your head around that. Think back and just go back as far as you can. 10 years, okay, got it. 100 years, okay, well, I wasn't here, but I've read, all right, 1,000 years. Well, we're, at that point, we're not really in American history anymore. I read about Europe, I guess. 10,000 years, oh, yeah, I'm done. And keep going, and keep going, and keep going. The word eternity in the Greek is where we get our word eon. You ever heard that word before? Eon. And let me define that for you, as if that'll help. <laughs> the word eon literally means an immeasurably or indefinitely long period of time. And when they measure geologic time, they say it's equal to one billion years. One billion years. And eternity is eon after eon after eon. A billion years, and when you get to the end of that billion, you start over, and you get another billion, and another billion. It's hard to really even comprehend. Has anybody ever heard the expression, I think it got popular in the last few years, I don't know if it still is or not, YOLO? Y-O-L-O, -O. have you seen this before? As the kids say. Just a little footnote here. If you ever hear anybody say, as the kids say, number one, that's an old person. Number two, the kids probably don't say that. So be careful. YOLO, somebody help me out. What does it stand for? You only live once. And I think where it came from was sort of a modern day take on carpe diem. Seize the day, right? Make the most of every moment. Don't waste time. Make the most of every opportunity. And I think maybe that's where it originated. But how many of you know that's not where it is now? <laughs> that expression is being used by people. Well, you only live once. And that's their reason and excuse for doing dumb stuff. Well, you only live once, so they do something stupid without any respect for the consequences of it. You only live once, and, and really what they're saying is, my flesh is in total control. I will serve its every whim and every want. Why? Because YOLO, you know what I mean? YOLO, you only live once. And they think that that's a mentality that will be a filter that you live every day of your life. Well, if you live through that filter of you only live once, you know, you'll, you'll take risks and you'll take chances and, and you'll do things maybe you wouldn't have done. I don't think that's the mentality you and I are supposed to be living with. Matter of fact, I want to give you a mentality that will actually impact the way you live every day of your life. And it's not YOLO. 
You know what it is? Yolf. <laughs> Doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, but you know what that, you know what yolf means? You only live forever. And that revelation will change the way you wake up in the morning. Will change the way you spend every moment of your day. Yolf. Call and maybe we need some t-shirts to say yolf. You on the okay. Yolf. Because eternity is real. And again, it's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around because the concept itself, even though eternity is that concept is one of the major tenets of our faith, and it's something we, we talk about, and it's actually something we talk very casually about, eternal life. And we know John 3.16, everybody's heard it. John 3.16, the guy in the end zone, at the football game with the sign, John 3.16, everybody's heard it. You believe in Jesus, he'll give you eternal life. But I guarantee you, I promise you, our understanding of what it actually means falls way short. Because it's a hard concept for the mind to understand. Let me just read this to you the way the Lord gave it to me. Eternity is a hard concept for the natural mind to comprehend because everything in our world has a beginning and an end. But when you start talking about eternity, you're talking about God himself because he is the eternal one. Now, when we talk about love and we talk about kindness and we talk about mercy, we're talking about the character traits of God. Eternity is not necessarily one of his character traits. And, and this is where I've, I just fail to wrap words about around it. The only thing I can come up with is eternity is like the blood that flows in his veins. He is eternal. He's the eternal one. Now think about what that means. He's the one who has always been. He's the one who will always be. He's not young and he's not old. So just go ahead and get rid of that concept you have of God because you saw it in a cartoon, bald-headed, long, white beard, kind of hunched over on his throne. Well, why wouldn't that be? Because all those things come as a result of time. Young is reference to time. Old is reference to time. And eternity is outside both of those things. Is he young? Is he old? He just is. He is. And he always has been. And he always will be. He's the eternal one. Here's what really messes with me about eternity and how God is eternal. He is self-existent. He's self-sustaining. God is self-perpetuating. In other words, he's a power source that will never, because it can never, run out. Now, we don't have anything in our world like that. Everything on earth, everything, is completely dependent upon an outside power source to keep it running, to keep it alive, to keep it moving. Even the things that we consider to be the greatest technology, 
Every one of these things has what I call a power problem. And that is that all, even though it does wonderful things for us, even though it's great technology, maybe even technology that's never uh, been around before, you still have to plug this stuff in. I mean, these phones that we carry around in our pocket, that our whole lives revolve around, that are, we are so dependent upon, and just keep getting more and more and more expensive. Yeah. That thing doesn't even last all day. <laughs> you gotta plug it back in. Everything's got a power problem. And it is dependent upon an outside source to renew it, to put some life back in it. Whether you're talking about a phone or a tablet, or you're talking about the car you drive in, that thing is not self-perpetuating. You got to put some fuel in it. It requires power from an outside source. God does not. He does not. All the power is in him and it's constantly. You see what I'm saying? How do you, how do we, what in, I, indescribable. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the eternal God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. The NIV says, will not grow tired. We don't have any frame of reference for that. We grow tired every day. Multiple times a day, but he doesn't. And, and, and Isaiah is right here. You didn't know this about him. Have you not heard this about him? The everlasting. And now notice what he connects to his eternal nature is this never growing tired, never growing weary. Why? Because he's self perpetuating. All the energy he needs is in him. Come on, somebody. This is truly indescribable, unspeakable, and nearly incomprehensible for the human mind because everything on earth has this power problem. Everything down here is severely limited by and completely dependent upon an outside power source to sustain it. We are so accustomed to things running out of power. You notice that? We think we've really accomplished something we've, when we've invented a phone battery that lasts all day. Wow, really a whole day? Come on. This is where it really starts to fascinate me. Let me read this to you. The only thing I think we have in our natural world, and this would not be on earth. Again, this is outside the earth, is our sun. Our sun, we literally, our whole lives literally revolve around it. All the power that we need on earth as humans the sun is supplying what we need. And I did a little research into this. Let me just tell you a little bit about the sun. The sun providing everything, all the energy, all the power that we need, and yet only one, one billionth, did you hear that? One, one billionth of the sun's total energy output actually reaches earth. You and I are living on one one billionth of its energy. One one billionth. Every 1.5 millionths 
of a second. That, that's like indescribably small. 1.5 millionths of a second. The sun releases more energy than all of humanity could consume in an entire year. In 1.5 millionths of a second. There's more energy coming out of the sun than 8 billion people could use in a year. This says, if you add up the amount of energy used by all the humans on the planet, so 8 billion people all using energy each year, it comes to around 580 million terajoules. But in one second, the sun produces more than 600 years worth of human energy. One second. One second, the sun produces this kind of energy. More than 8 billion people could use in 600 years. I like this. The sun is producing power that is the equivalent of 1.9 million nuclear bombs going off every second. Every second. Practically 2 million nuclear bombs. Somebody say power. That's power. Now, why would I tell you all that? Because the scripture calls our father the father of lights. And it's in reference to the celestial beings. So all that power I just read to you about came out of somebody. It came out of your daddy. That's what's in him. And that, our son, is just one of the, what, Billions and billions and billions? How's your head doing? That's in him. That self-perpetuating life is in him. Thank you, Lord. See, we, we don't fully comprehend the, the kind of power we're talking about. Eternity has to do with the ability to perpetuate over time. Now, what we have to understand is that life is more than just existing. Help me with this, Lord. This phone, as thankful as I am for it, it gets frustrating at least once a day when you look up and all that battery, thank you, Suzanne, all that battery you started the day with is gone. But do you know how you and I, just bear with me here, could cause these things to live for eternity? Don't unplug them. Leave it plugged in. And that battery will never run down, in theory, right? As long as it's plugged in, to the power source. What do we say about these things? Oh, we look up, oh, I got 1% of battery. My phone's almost dead. See, to understand life, we got to understand death. And death is not what we thought it was. 
When Romans chapter five talked to us about sin entering through the one man, who's that talking about? Adam. And what came with sin? Death. Now God had told them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now our concept of death has been cessation, right? Where once there was a beating heart, now it's just lifeless tissue. Where once blood flowed from that fountain, now it's dried up. Once there, where there was life, now the body falls to the ground in death. Our concept of death has been cessation. The only problem is when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they didn't die. Or did they? Their hearts didn't stop beating. Their blood didn't stop flowing. They didn't fall lifeless to the ground, and yet they died. How did they die? When, when God, when they ate of the fruit, you go back and read it, it says God, he had to remove them. He, for lack of a better phrase here, kicked them out. They were separated. Death is not cessation of life. Death is separation from life. Are you tracking with me? Death is not cessation of life. Death is separation from life. So when they died, the hearts didn't stop, the bodies didn't fall, and yet they were separated. They were separated from God. They were separated from life. And that is death. That's what death is. We need to renew our minds to what death actually is. It's not the cessation. It's just separation. Do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, look at this. You see this coat I'm wearing? Watch this. See how I move my arms? I'm, I mean, I'm all over the place, right? Everywhere. If you didn't know any better, you would think this coat's alive. Man, look at that thing. That coat's alive. Look at it. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. But wait a second. Hold on. What happens when you separate it? That same coat that was just moving around all over the place just a moment ago has actually been separated from the life that was in it. And so because of that, that thing ain't going nowhere. <laughs> it will lay there lifeless until it's plugged back in. This is what life and death is. And the Bible is a book of death and life. Are you with me? How do we keep these devices alive? How do you ensure that it never dies? plug it in. It has to stay plugged in to the power, right? And as long as it's plugged into the power, it's alive. It's alive. But the moment it unplugs, it's on its way to death. Eternal life is being eternally plugged in. Eternally attached and connected to two million nuclear bombs going off every second. 
and then some. You see, we struggle to even wrap words around it. Can you imagine being plugged into that? You think, well, I, I mean, we couldn't handle it. This body couldn't. Our glorified bodies that we are promised in Scripture that will belong to us in the resurrection. Can you imagine a body that has the ability to plug in to two million nuclear bombs going off every second and it's not fried? It has the ability and the capacity to sustain that? Check this out. For a billion years. And then what? Then another billion years. Okay, but then what? Then another billion years. Power. Eternal life is being eternally plugged in to power. Well, if there's such thing as eternal life, guess what else there must be? Eternal death. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. You already told me you believe he's coming. And this is what's going to happen when he comes. He'll come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God. Jesus said in the book of John chapter 17 that this is eternal life to know God. And that knowing God is not, oh yeah, I know him. God, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I met him once and oh sure, I know him. That's not what that word know is. It's the word for intimacy. It's the word for being inseparably connected. Because separation is death. Didn't Jesus say, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if you don't abide in me, if you're separated from me, you can't produce fruit. Why? Because all the life, all the power flows out of that vine into that branch as long as the branch is plugged in. As long as the branch is connected. As long as the branch still knows the vine. This is eternal life to know him. And Jesus said to know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. There is no other way to eternal life. And he said, when Jesus comes, he's coming with angels in flaming fire and they're bringing judgment on those who don't know God, those who aren't plugged in, those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction. That word destruction is the same word for ruin or death. But notice what this eternal death is, forever separated from the Lord and from his power. Eternal death, just like eternal life is being forever plugged into the power, eternal death is being forever unplugged from the power. Death is complete powerlessness. And we've heard people talk about hell 
And we've heard messages preached on hell. They call them hellfire and brimstone messages. But the same way I think we've had a hard time wrapping our minds around what eternal life is, I think we haven't been able to fully comprehend eternal death. Because people talk about flames, and, and I know that scripture talks about that, and the anguish of that and the pain of that. But do we really have any kind of reference for that? What makes hell hell? God's not there. And if he's not there, his power's not there. Hell is hell because it is eternal and ever downward spiraling weakness. You ever been really sick? I mean, think back on a day when you just felt horrible. I'm talking like you had a bad case of the flu, maybe maybe a bad cold, or maybe something a lot stronger or worse than that. You got a bad diagnosis and your body was in pain and you, you ached all over, you hurt all over, you wanted to sleep, but you couldn't sleep. And when you did fall asleep, it was weird sleep. And you remember how good it felt to feel good <laughs> when you finally get rid of all that and you're like, oh, thank God I'm feeling good again. People get so sick sometimes they're like, oh, just kill me. I wish I were dead. <laughs> No, you don't. Hell is feeling like that every day for a billion years. And then when you get to that billion, you start over. It's that and billions of times worse. It's that, that ache, that pain, th that discomfort getting worse and worse because you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker every day for a billion years. And you never get any stronger because there's no power there. Husbands, wives, think about the worst fight you ever had. Think about the biggest argument you ever got in. Voices were raised, tempers were flaring and you hate it. You hate when that spirit of strife is in your home. You hate it when you're at odds with each other and you especially hate it when it goes on day after day, but you love it when you finally come to peace and somebody apologizes and then somebody else apologizes and you, you make up, you repent and everything's good. You love that, but you hate that strife. Hell is that strife every day for a billion years. Only the fight just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And when you come to the end of that billion years, it starts over. Eon after eon after eon. That's death. That's death. Which is why we shouldn't put up with any of it in our homes here and now. Why do we want the atmosphere of hell in our homes? The atmosphere of death I don't want that working in us. We want life working in our homes, life working in us. What is death? It's not the cessation of life, it's separation from life. Our scripture in Romans chapter six, look at it again, but now look at it in the Amplified Bible. Romans chapter six, verse 23. He said, for the wages of sin 
the wages which sin pays is death. So we understand it. Let me read it to you like this. The wages which sin pays is eternal death. But the bountiful free gift of God is eternal life through, check this out, you ready? In union with Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Jeremy translation says eternal life is life plugged in to Jesus. Life plugged in to Jesus. Life is unity. Life is oneness. Life is intimacy with God who is the source of life. And eternal life is being plugged in to the Son. Being plugged into the Son. Not that ball of fire burning in our sky, but the Son. Being plugged into Jesus. And our glorified bodies will have all the ability they need to handle all that power. Thank you, Lord. Now, one last scripture in closing. First John chapter five, verse 11 says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. I hope that word, just that little word in means something new to you now. Every time you read it, in Christ, we talk about all these in him truths and in him realities, but, but what is he saying? It's in, it's connected to, it's being plugged into him. I am more than a conqueror because I'm in him, plugged into the one who loves me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm plugged in to that strength. You gotta be plugged in. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. If you've got Jesus, if you've got life. If you don't have Jesus, you've got death. It's that simple. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him, that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Do you hear how many times you said this? That you know it. You know it. Listen to me, this whole world is living every day scared out of their mind with the fear of death. And they don't even know why. Many people who don't believe there is a God, who would scoff at a message of eternal life or eternal death, yet they live in total and, and absolute fear of death. Why? Why live in the fear of death? Well, the scripture says that the fear of death is what keeps people in bondage. People live frozen in life. They won't, they won't step out by faith. Afraid, afraid, afraid. And every fear has its root in the fear of death. The fear of death. But you don't have to live afraid. You don't have to live afraid of death. You don't have to live and be afraid of dying. You can know. You can know that you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And here's the great news. Eternal life doesn't stop when this body falls over. You already told me this morning, just a few minutes ago, maybe more than a few, but you already told me, I believe that. 
You said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. You said, I believe He was conceived of the Spirit and born of a virgin. I believed He lived and died and rose again. I believe that He's coming again soon. You told me you believe that, and Jesus said, whoever believes has, has, has right now eternal life. This power we're talking about, you and I are already plugged into it, not like we're going to be. If we were to plug into all that right now, we'd be fried. These bodies can't handle it, but we've got a, a glorified body that's coming. But here's the good news. You can have eternal life working in you right now. Those who don't believe have eternal death already at work in them, already working. But you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to lay there at night terrified. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? How can I know? Am I right with God? Am I not? Have I done enough good things to be made right with him? I don't want to get kicked out of heaven on day one. You don't have to live afraid of any of that. You can know. You can know that you are in the son and he is in you. And that life is working in you. And your last breath here will be your first breath there. And because of what Jesus has done, he's already tasted death for you. Which means when this body does fall over lifeless and this beating heart stops and there's no more blood flowing through the veins, you won't even taste it. Why would I be afraid of that? I already died once. Why would I be afraid to do it again? I died when I made Jesus the Lord of my life. Crucified myself. The Bible says we are crucified with him, buried with him, and will be raised again with him. Amen. I'm so excited about this power. I just want to touch a little bit of it. But you can't touch two million nuclear bombs a second here on earth. But heaven is our home. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.